Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast with Tony Maradero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire, back to Lafleur. Oh! The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. <laughs> there is a bomb! Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoins, on lui fait perdre la rondelle une passe devant. Et c'est la bonne Et ce sera la victoire des Canadiens. pour les Canadiens. Le troisième de l'histoire. You found the dogs! John, you found the dogs! He found the dogs! And all together, they worked the young team to the top. And now, a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup. Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground. Your premier gaming destination. It's going to be sick. Marinero, the sick podcast on this Tuesday, August 8th. It is one minute past 10 p.m. And if you're watching right now on YouTube Live, I say hello and I hope you are doing very well. Uh, if you're watching on Twitter, hello, live, Facebook Live, share with your friends, like it, comment sick, S I C K. S-I-C-K, the SICK Podcast brought to you in part by Energy Transportation Group, named by the Financial Times as one of America's fastest-growing companies in 2023, recognized by the Globe and Mail as a top-growing Canadian company for two years in a row. They work with some of the biggest Fortune 500 companies providing end-to-end logistics services. Join a winning team and check out Energy's career page for available opportunities. A special hello to Mike Cinquino and Sean Gerard of Energy transportation group also brought to you in part by playground don't miss playgrounds august million poker series from august 23rd to september 4th with one million dollars in guaranteed prize pools seven championship ring events and a six hundred thousand dollar guaranteed main event located just over the mercier bridge only minutes from downtown montreal playground and brewed in quebec and a winner of a dozen international awards, La Bitta TV offers quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste. La Bitta TV, embrace your true nature. My buddy, Stu Cowan of the Montreal Gazette and HockeyInsideOut.com. I was taking a look at Twitter today, and I saw that Stu has been very active when it comes to the Montreal Canadiens over the past couple of days. Why wouldn't he be? He's on the beat 24-7, 365 days a year. He's always writing about them, and there's a lot to write about, of course. As uh, on the Sunday afternoon, uh, Kent Hughes surprised more than one when he acquired Jeff Petrie and Nathan Legare and Casey DeSmith and a second-round pick in 2025 and parted ways with Mike Hoffman and Ram Pitlick. He also, Stu did, wrote a story on Alex Newhook, which we're going to get to. Without further ado, I say hello to Stu Cowan. Stu, how are you? I'm doing well, Tony. How are you doing? Very, very good. Thanks for doing this, too. I appreciate it. I know that on August 8th, there are other things to do. So thank you for this. Thank you. Yeah, for, mind pleasure. you, it's not like I, I... Is it raining in your neck of the woods right now, or did it, it rain earlier it tonight? It wasn't earlier. I took my dog for a walk about half an hour ago, and it was actually quite nice out. It was uh, It was raining quite a bit in Villa Sal, I can tell you that. Uh, all right, okay. Uh, talk to me about the Jeff Petrie trade. 
Well, how surprised were you when you took a look at your smartphone on Sunday afternoon and saw that Jeff Petrie was traded to the Montreal Canadiens? Well, on Sunday, my wife and I uh, were having breakfast and we were just about to leave the house. Uh, we were going to go take the REM for the first time here from Brossard downtown and walk around Old Montreal and whatnot. Oh, really? I looked on Twitter and I saw, I think it was Elliot Friedman had a tweet uh, saying that there was a trade in the works with three teams and it looked like Montreal might be involved. So I said to my wife, well, I don't think we're going for the REM. We're wait and see what happens here. And oh, then yeah? Jeff Petrie, when Petrie's name popped up, I was really surprised. But um, I don't think anybody saw this coming and probably not Jeff Petrie or his wife either. But, um, you know, I tweeted afterwards. It just shows one of the things that I've really admired about Kent Hughes is how professional he is on this job, how thoughtful he is, how he doesn't rush into things, and how he treats people properly. He doesn't make things personally, personal. And, you know, when Jeff Petrie asked to be traded, um, you know, his wife wasn't happy here. She wasn't happy with the COVID restrictions. Uh, she couldn't have family come to help her with the kids and whatnot. So she went back to the States, left Jeff here alone, and he asked for the trade. But... Ken Hughes didn't make it personal, and he, he told Petrie he'd try to uh, accommodate his wishes, but he wasn't going to give him up for nothing. And if he couldn't get proper value for him, he would have to play here. But then he did. I mean, he made a heck of a trade getting Mike Matheson. But just the way he handled it with Jeff Petrie, you know, I don't think Petrie's going to start the season here. I think he's going to get traded before then. I think that's the plan. I think that's why Ken Hughes hasn't spoken with the media yet since the trade. But if he does start the season here, it won't be the end of the world because – Kent Hughes treated him with a lot of respect, and I'm sure Jeff Petrie appreciates that. And people need to remember that before COVID and the restrictions, Petrie and his family were quite happy in Montreal. In fact, yeah. his wife's a big reason why he re-signed a long-term contract here after he was acquired from the Oilers, because his wife really loved Montreal. So it, it was really surprising. As I said, I'm sure Petrie was surprised. His wife was surprised. And I wouldn't be shocked if he's still with the team to start the season, but I don't think that's the plan. And, you know, I checked with the Canadians again today to see if they had any idea when Kent Hughes might speak with the media, and they're still not certain. So he's obviously trying to make some other deals, and until either those deals are made or until it looks like those deals are going to take longer, um, I guess then we'll find out when Kent Hughes might speak about what, what his plans are here. All right. When you talked about treating people with class, once Rem Pitlick was traded, let's bring it up via Twitter, there you have it. Uh, on souhaite à Rem Pitlick le meilleur pour la suite. All the best in Pittsburgh. Um, gem for Rem the gem, of course. And then also for Mike Hoffman. Bonne chance à San Jose Hoff. Good luck in San Jose Hoff. Now, this may seem like a little thing, uh, but you can, you know, rest assured that there's a little bit of uh, Jeff Gordon and Kent Hughes behind this in terms of this is the way we're going to do things in Montreal. We're going to treat people right. And if it works out, fantastic. And if at one point they're going to be moved, we're going to make things as, as, as easy as we can for them and as good as possible. Because once they leave, uh, we want them to have a very good reminder and experience with Montreal. We want them to be able to talk to other people and uh, in, in, in w with kind words about Montreal. And so there you have it. But another thing that the Canadians usually do, of course, is they usually, when they acquire players, well, they'll have the same kind of tweet welcoming the mm -hmm. players to Montreal. You just talked about a press conference. Kent Hughes usually meets with the media and probably has like a Zoom call within 24, maximum 48 hours after the trade is pulled off. So here we are. 
you know, it was Sunday. It would have been today. It wasn't today, which lead you said there's another move. Now, when you say another move, another move that they'll announce all their moves at the same time and they'll have that pressure for all those moves. Or are you thinking that Casey DeSmith and Jeff Petrie won't play here and it's a matter of time before Kent Hughes moves them? Well, the thing with Kent Hughes, I mentioned, he doesn't rush into anything. So he's not going to rush into making a move. Petrie's a valuable asset, especially now. You know, with his cap, it's only four point six eight seven million, and the Canes can keep half of that in a trade. So, Jeff Petrie at you know less than two and a half million dollars would be attractive to a lot of teams, I would think. Big time, big time. But he's not going to rush into it, and that's the way Ken Hughes has been. It's, he's not going to like. I'm sure he'd like to get something done soon, sooner rather than later. Um, and that's you know, as you say, they didn't send out a tweet welcoming Petrie back. They didn't send out a tweet anyway with DeSmith. They haven't made DeSmith available to the media. They haven't made Petrie available to the media, which makes me believe that both of them are in the works for whatever trade that uh, Kent Hughes is working on at this point. And you're right. I mean, normally the case, you know, Carlson was in Pittsburgh today. Normally within 24, 48 hours of a trade, the players are made available. The GM's usually even quicker than that. It's usually the same day. Um, you know, on Sunday, after I found out about the trade, the first thing I did was I texted the Canadians PR people and said, you know, when uh, when will Kent Hughes be speaking? Will he be speaking this afternoon? And they said they weren't sure yet. They were still trying to figure it out. So I think Kent Hughes has a lot of balls in the air right now, trying to figure out what he's going to do, what his next move is. I'm sure he obviously has plans on what they are, but it takes two to tango. So um, we'll see. I, I'd be surprised if it doesn't, if there's nothing by the end of this week or through the weekend, I'd be surprised if he doesn't speak by like Monday at the latest, because the longer this sort of drags on, the more people will speculate and whatnot. And uh, so I would expect whether he deals Petrie that or not, I would expect at some point, probably early next week at the latest, we'll hear from Ken Hughes. All right. So most people think it's business and the Smith will be on his way out and Petrie will be on his way out. But you know what? Let's talk about something else tonight. Let's maybe take a look at the other side of the coin here. The Smith is two years younger, maybe a year and a half or whatever it is. I think he'll turn 32. I think Allen's 33 or whatever it is. Who's a better goalie in your opinion? For Between who, sorry? Between Casey the Smith and Jake Allen. Oh, Jake Allen, I, th- I would say. I, I think there'd be more of a value. I mean, that's the other thing. Maybe they're, they're going to trade Jake Allen and uh, and keep the Smith. I think at this point, Jake, you know, Jake Allen has more experience. Uh, more of a veteran goalie. I would think at this point, if I had to pick between the two, I would take Jake Allen, but there's a lot of things that come into play as far as contract, et cetera, what you might be able to get for DeSmith, what you may be, might be able to get to Jake Allen. Perfect. Maybe they want to keep the three goalies because there's a good chance they'll lose Caden Primo uh, if or when he's sent down on waivers yeah. to Laval. Uh, so you'd need another veteran goalie or another goalie with NHL experience around to either play in Laval and or uh, replace Montebor Allen if they get hurt. And from past seasons, that's exactly what's happened. And, you know, Caden uh, Krumel has shown that he's, he can be a very good goalie in the AHL, but he doesn't, certainly doesn't look ready to play in the NHL at this point. So I thought about this, okay? Where are the Canadians right now? I thought about this all day. Where are the Canadians right now in terms of the way they want to do things, right? They're at a point where acquiring as much as possible for their assets is probably the most important thing for mm-hmm. them. So if you can acquire... More for Allen. Why don't you keep the Smith? Well, that's and Smith yep, being younger exactly. may turn out being better than Allen because you know you go to a new team. It's like you got so much more to prove. And and I'm going to I'm going to throw something else at you. Can you get more for David Savard or Jeff Petrie? 
I would think Jeff Petrie, especially with that cap hit, if the Canes are willing to, even if the Canes don't eat, you know, if they eat a minimum amount or none, even Jeff Petrie at 4.6, he's a guy who can play in all situations. Um, you know, he's not, he's, he's an incredible physical shape, Jeff Petrie. Uh, he can play power play and kill penalties. I mean, look, it's not that long ago. Remember him with the, the four, one of the four Clydesdales for the Canadians in the playoffs, how well he played. Yeah. It's uh, only a couple of years ago. That's not that long ago. So I think there'll be more value uh, to Jeff Petrie uh, on the trademark. But the thing is now, as you mentioned, Ken uses so many assets and he has a lot of options what he wants to do. I mean, to me, the biggest part, of the, the fact he was able to get rid of Hoffman and his $4.5 million cap hit without having to eat any of that, and plus, what he got in return is, is really quite remarkable and uh, just a heck of a job by Kent Hughes. Again, being patient, right? I mean, they're obviously trying to trade Hoffman at the trade deadline last year. I'm sure they were shopping him around at, uh, during the draft and whatnot. But Kent Hughes, one of his biggest qualities is just his willingness to be patient. And as I mentioned earlier, just the way he, 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 he treats people well. Yeah, uh, he has good people skills, and you go back to you know, Mark Bergevin, and I think you know I've said this before, I've written it before. Mark Bergevin, I think his downfall as a GM was just he made everything personal, whether it was you know Markov and Dano and Pacioretty and Subban, and you go down the list. And I've written this and said this before. He GM'd like he played. You know, you slash me, I'm going to slash you back twice as hard. That doesn't work uh, in the GM when you're in the business world. And and Kent Hughes, from his career as an agent, you know, the lawyer, the law degree, and whatnot, he he's able able to separate business and personal stuff and explain that to players too and with Jeff yeah. Petrie I, I, I watched your show there last night with uh, Eric Engels and uh, Eric yeah. uh, you know, reached out and if if the Petries have to come back to Montreal it's yeah. part of the business and it's not going to be the end of the world as I said they, they liked Montreal before all the COVID restrictions came in and you got to remember there's a new coach here now since uh, since Petrie left he was one of the more outspoken critics of Dominic Ducharme and his system when he was here he was speaking out on behalf of the players in the locker room who were frustrated yeah. So it's it's just you know one of my biggest beliefs in life, Tony, is what goes around comes around, and if you treat people well, in the end, you'll be most likely treated well. And if you treat people poorly, it can come back and bite you in the butt. So um, Ken Hughes is really good at that, and uh, yeah. I, I imagine he has reached out to Petrie. I imagine he's given them an idea of what he's planning to do or not planning to do, and I'm sure Petrie appreciates the fact that Kent Hughes granted him his wish and and his family's Big wish time. when they wanted to leave Montreal. And, Big time. And that's he, he treated him well and gave him what he wanted and made a heck of a trade. And now, so now he's got Mike Matheson and Jeff Petrie. And yeah. Ryan Paling's no longer in Pittsburgh. He's gone to Philadelphia. So yeah. that was one heck of a trade that he pulled off. So, you know, you just said something about Mark Bergevin, and I'll get back to that. Um, I like Mark Bergevin. He was always very, very good to me. I've said that before. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say it again. Yeah. But I totally understand your point. Let's look at it this way uh, Mark Bergevin would never reacquire Markov, Subban, Pacioretty, Radulov, just to name a few, right? Yeah. Um, those negotiations went sour. Yeah. And uh, and uh, just he, you get the feeling he would never not those negotiations slash relationships, okay? Uh, mm -hmm. Because they weren't all contract negotiations, obviously, right? Pacioretty had his contract, Subban had his contract. Markov did not. That was a negotiation, and Radulov was a negotiation. So for, for P.K. Subban and uh, Max Pacioretty, it was, uh, they had their contracts, and uh, and once again, Radulov and uh, and Markov did not. But, but for uh, Markov, in Markov's it, case, Markov wanted to come back to the Canadians after his 
first year in Russia. He wasn't happy there. He wanted to come yeah. back. He told the Canadians yeah. he wanted to go back. He let Mark Bergevin know he wanted to come back. The Canadians could have used him at that point. They really missed him on the power play. Yeah. And Bergevin just couldn't, you know, he made it personal. He said, there's no way he's coming back. He was so Markov, Markov made a big mistake by not getting an agent, Stu. And you know what? Oh, maybe, maybe he would never made a Canadian with an agent anyway. But yeah. when you don't get an agent, yeah. when you don't get an agent, GMs think that they can take you to the uh, to the candy store, yeah. basically. And the player, yeah. if the player wants to uh, really stand tall, uh, they they try not to make that happen, and it just it doesn't go over very well. Re agents have such good relationships with general managers, some more than others, to the point where some it becomes like a real good friendship and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Maybe in some cases a little bit too much, but that's another story for another day and another podcast. And who knows, maybe even in my book one day, because I've yeah. seen it all in this business. But um, well, look, one of the reasons Pat Pat Pacioretty dropped Brisson as his agent is because he thought he was too friendly with Bergevin was yeah. looking out more for Bergevin maybe than he was looking out for for his client at that. It's point. funny he signed he signed Brisson because of the relationship that he had with Mark Bergevin, mm -hmm. and he got rid of Brisson because. Brisson was trying to talk Pacioretty into a trade to, to accept a trade to L.A. Pacioretty wanted Brisson to talk to Bergevin to smooth things over so that he can stay here. And when Brisson insisted that Pacioretty take the L.A. trade, uh, Pacioretty got rid of him in came Alan, Alan Walsh. Walsh. Yeah. And Alan Walsh tried to salvage it, uh, you know, so much. Remember the, uh, the night where... Um, they had the uh, they had the um, the golf tournament, yeah, uh, for there. Max Pacioretty and uh, Paulo Presti, who's a very very good friend of Max Pacioretty. He's like very very good. I mm -hmm. mean, Pacioretty was godfather to uh, you know Paulo's child, yeah. and Paulo was godfather to Max's children. Like very very close. Paulo Presti at one point got up and spoke and said, you know, um, Max really wants to stay here, and he deserves to stay here. And I hope that the Montreal Canadiens will do everything in their power. And Jeff Molson will do everything in his power to make sure that Max stays here. Jeff was at that 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 um, that golf tournament. Remember, uh, yeah. there was pressure on Max on on Mark Bergevin to show up because at one point he hadn't answered. The two weren't talking, and if he wasn't going to show up to that golf tournament, he was going to lose a lot of face. So there was a lot of pressure on him to show up. He showed up with. Jeff Molson and the handshake, all the cameras. I remember were that. The handshake. And Pacioretty was there with Alan Walsh. Pacioretty was there with Alan Walsh, and the handshake between yeah. Bergevay and Pacioretty was like it was. Uh, it was just an uneasy feeling. Yeah. I wouldn't even say in the room because it was done outdoors at the golf course. But um, it was like they both wanted to wash their hands afterwards, or something. It, it wasn't. It wasn't good. It was it, it was it was really odd, but I, I know that on that particular night, um, Alan Walsh, um, you know, was hoping that that night, you know, with everyone saying what they said and the great turnout for Max, that he could have possibly talked Jeff Molson into Max Petretti is going to stay a Montreal Canadian. But Jeff Molson, uh, he's got a guy in charge. That guy is Mark Bergevin. Mark Bergevin had made up his mind. Pacioretty was gone. I remember that year, Stu, I'll say this. I had a great relationship with Pacioretty. I thought Max Pacioretty yeah. was a really, really nice guy, okay? Yeah. Um, 
I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples. I mean, I had um, my nephew was doing a uh, a project in school on concussions, and uh, you know he, he thought, you know what, if he would have talked to an athlete or interviewed an athlete, that he would have you know passed the course with a hundred or whatever. So he called me and he said, can you help me out? I said, yeah, no problem. Hold on a second. So I picked up the phone. I called Max Petcheretti. I said, listen, Max, my nephew, this, you know, concussions, project, school, whatever. He said, sure, come over with him. Just like that. Boom. Like, yeah. with, you know, half an hour later, we were at his house at the time in Nuns Island. Right. And yeah. uh, so my nephew's got the iPad out. He's interviewing him. And so Max Petcheretti was a really, really good guy. Um, you know, at one point I asked him about um, – doing a fundraiser together and joining with his foundation. He said, yeah, yeah, you know what? You, uh, you organize it and I'll show up. And he did. And he brought a couple of players with him. Really good guy. But I'm going to tell you this. In Pacioretty's last, I would say, almost year, in the last 10 months that he was with the Canadians, he didn't speak to me. He didn't speak to me in the last 10 months. Um, as a matter of fact, he was really upset with me. Mm-hmm. really upset with me because I think it was the end of November, early December that uh, somebody's having a good time at your place. eh? Yeah. That's my kids. Ah, good for them. They're kids too. Uh, I think it was end of November, early December. I came out, I went on the radio and I said, Max Pacioretty uh, will not be a Montreal Canadian. Come Montreal Canadians golf tournament. Yeah. And Pacioretty wasn't happy that I said that. And he almost thought like I was running him out of town. Mm-hmm. But I think I had, you know, some people in the know yeah. based on the information that I had. Patch, it was determined. Pacioretty was not going to be a Montreal Canadiens at the Montreal Canadiens golf tournament. And Pacioretty uh, wasn't happy with me because Pacioretty wanted to remain a Montreal Canadian. So the fact yeah. that I was going on the radio every day saying, that come Montreal Canadiens golf tournament, Max Pacioretty will not be a Montreal Canadian. He was upset at me because he thought there was a well, way to salvage it. He thought I was running him out of town. Anyway, long story short, you remember when he got traded, eh? Yep. It was the day before the Montreal Canadiens golf tournament. Yep. And the thing is, remember, it became a he said, he said. Remember the Canes were saying <clears throat> Pacioretty asked to be traded and wanted out. Pacioretty said he didn't want to be out. In the end, Mark Berger didn't want Max Pacioretty anymore. No. And they should have just been honest. He, he especially didn't want him to be his captain. He especially no, he didn't want him to be his captain. No, and the, the Canadians should have just been honest and said that. You know, we want to thank Max Pacioretty for everything he's done, but we're moving in a different direction, and he's not part of the plans. And it goes back to what I was saying about Ken Hughes, how you treat people properly. And then it became – Pacioretty loved being a Montreal. I mean, he had moved from his house in the South Shore, bought a place in Westland. You don't do that if you're planning – if you want out of the town, right? And, and he wanted to stay here. And you're right. I had – I had one run in with Pacioretty. He was upset at me when I asked him, I believe it was his golf tournament, if he had thought about giving up the C to Shea Weber. That's after they acquired Weber and they, Weber and uh, Pacioretty showed up together at the golf tournament. And I asked Max if he had thought about giving up, maybe giving up the C to Shea Weber. And Shea Weber had just won the Mark Messe Leadership Award the previous season with Nashville. And he really took offense to me asking that. He, he, thought, it, he, said it was, he thought it was a loaded question. I, had, I explained to him, it's not like you're giving up the captaincy to Joe Blow here. You're giving up a captaincy to a guy who was considered the best captain in the league the year before. And as I said, I thought it might have just taken some of the pressure off him, not having to deal with the media every day, just focus on hockey. I thought it might have helped him. Maybe made it. I explained that to him. I thought it might have just made life easier for you and not having that burden of wearing the seat. But he took it 
personally, he was upset because he took so much pride in wearing oh, the yeah. C for the Canadians. He had so much pride. You mentioned, I mean, he was much more visible in the community than Shea Weber ever was as a captain. I mean, the different personalities. Yeah. And he's saying doing stuff like that. So with Max Pacioretty, I had a lot of respect for him. I, I don't think he had the personality to be the captain, especially of the Canadians, just because he, he heard everything and, and listened to everything. I think he let things bother him, where Shea Weber couldn't care less what you say or I say or anybody writes. He just showed up and he did his thing and, and didn't worry about anybody else. Where Max, I think, did. And I think that weighed him down. And I think that made the captaincy weigh heavily on him. But, um, you know, he wanted to stay in Montreal. I mean, if, if he asked for a trade, yeah, maybe a, kid, a situation where Bergeron was ripping him or something like that, and he might have said something like, well, if you hate me so much, then trade me. But I don't believe Max Patrick ever wanted to get out of town. And when Alan no. Walsh came in, Dallin Walsh's credit, he got him a real sweetheart deal and moved him yeah. out to Las Vegas. A lot of money, a place where he wanted to go. And I know Pacioretty was really happy with that. And you're going back again to, to having an agent. The other thing about having an agent is when GMs and negotiate, they're going to tell you what they don't like about the player, right? So when Markov was in being negotiating with Bergevin, Bergevin was telling him what he didn't like about him as much as what he, or probably even more than what he did like about him because he wanted to get him as low as he can. And that's how yeah. negotiations go. But the agents are used to that, and the agents aren't going to go back and tell the player, oh, he said you suck at this and you suck at that. They, That's where the negotiation goes, and that's where Markov yeah. made the mistake of not having an agent because he wouldn't have had to deal with Bergevin in that case, and maybe something would have got worked out. And you're right, I think Bergevin probably did try to take advantage of him in that yeah. situation. And there were two alpha males yeah. who went head-to-head, yeah. and they never really forgive each other. I know I know Markov held a grudge against uh uh, Bergevin was probably yeah. the same because Alan Walsh became Alan Walsh ended up representing Markov. And I got an interview with Markov, uh, I guess it was two summers after he left the Canadians in Montreal. And, and he talked about how he wanted to come back. I can't, I mean, he finished a handful of games below a thousand games. Yeah, like how they didn't bring him back. You know, I played so many years here, he deserved to be brought back and allowed at least to play a thousand games. But again, yeah. Mark Bergevin made it personal. I was, um, I was MC at, um, Andre Markov's uh, golf tournament. So he and I, we had uh, some mutual friends. And uh, so we got together and he asked me to MC his golf tournament. And I did. Uh, he liked Montreal a lot. And yeah. he had several businesses in Montreal and business partners in Montreal. But, um, you know, at the same time, Stu, I will say this, okay? Um, Markov's last couple of contracts were a cap at of $5.75 million per year. But in his last contract with a cap at of $5.75 million per year, I believe the final year of his contract, the salary was $4.25 million in salary. And what Bergevin did is he offered Markov a one-year deal at $4 million, so just $250,000 less than the last year of Markov's contract, with attainable bonuses that could hit well over $5 million, possibly even hit $6 million. Markov didn't want that. Markov wanted a two-year deal at $12 million. So I understand, look, it's not mm -hmm. all on Bergevin. Yeah. I think Markov was asking for too much at the time. Now, he wouldn't be the but first the player. He wouldn't, look, you know, Brendan Gallagher asked for too much too, but they gave it to him, right? So, yeah. you know, at the and end Markov of the day. Realized, Markov realized that his mistake, I guess, for lack of a better word, when he went to Russia, he wasn't happy there. I don't think his family was happy there. He wanted to come back to Montreal. He really did. And as I said, the Canadians could have used them at that point. And I don't know the exact details if he would have come back for what Bergevin had offered him the first time, but he probably would have. And um, 
but again, Bergevin had no interest in it because uh, I yeah. made it personal. And the Canadians could have used Markov at that point. They really could have. They were having problems getting out of their own end. They are having problems on the power play. I mean, Markov could still make that great first pass. He could still play the point on the power play, but Bergevin yeah. had no interest. You know, Stu, uh, some people have taken issue with you tonight. I'm going to tell you, uh, not taken issue with you, but mm-hmm. took issue with your question back in the day to Pacioretty about relinquishing the seat to Weber. Yeah. And they're saying that it was a question that was probably not called for because somebody just said, how would you feel about giving up your column to somebody else? But I'm going to say this, okay? I'll say this, and then I'll give you an opportunity to answer, okay? I understand what people are saying. I'll say well, this. Just let me interrupt for one second, Tony, because... One of the things Patrick was upset at is he, he, he said it was something that I probably could ask in private, maybe. Okay. But back with that Canadian's regime, you could never get a one-on-one interview with anybody. So there was no way I was ever going to be in an environment where I could ask them one-on-one, which would have been preferable for me also to just pull them aside. I hear you. Did, you ever, did you ever think about maybe giving up the C that it might be a little bit less? I think he thought I was trying to embarrass him, which is not what I was trying to do. And I think there was a lot of people at that golf tournament that day who had the same question in their mind. Yeah, didn't want to ask it. And one of the things, I mean, you do it also. I take pride, Tony, in asking questions that maybe some other people don't want to yeah. ask. I don't try. Yeah. I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. I'm not trying to make you're not. Look you're not that I'm doing my journalist. job. You're not that kind of journalist. You're one of the no. classiest guys on the beach. Well, I'm, I'm not just, just saying that job. because you're here. Yeah. Question that day, especially when they showed up together. Yeah. And from having dealt with Max, and one of the other great things I admire about Max as a captain, he was always there to face the media, whether he scored three goals or whether he was minus five. He was always sitting in his stall after yeah. the game. There was maybe three or four days a year when the Canes would say, you know, we're going to give Max a day off from talking. Yeah. But if you still yeah. really needed to talk to him, he would talk to you. So he understood He understood everything that it meant to be captain of the Canes on and yeah. off the ice. Yeah. But his personality, I, I think it really wore him. And, and I think it, it would have been better for him if he had given the seat to Weber. And I'm not, it's not a knock on Pacioretty. It's just he wasn't comfortable in the sea. He took so much pride in wearing it, and he tried everything he could to be the best captain he could be on and off the ice, but it didn't come naturally to him, whereas being a captain became more naturally to Weber because he didn't care what anybody in the media thought or said or wrote about him. He was his own man. He did his thing. All he cared yeah. about was what his teammates thought. Steve, uh, Stu, you know as, as, as well as I do that the sea did wear on Pacioretty to, mm-hmm. the, point, to the point where – at one point, he felt so much pressure that, if you recall, his relationship with P.K. Subban changed. Now, these two gentlemen can deny it all they want today. We know exactly what was happening when they were together on the same team. At one point, and I'm sure you were in the room that night, Stu. You remember that night that you were in the room where P.K. Subban was ba- blaming the forwards, basically, for not winning games, not scoring goals, and Pacioretty stopped talking to the media while Subban was talking, turned over, looked at Subban, listened to every single thing that he said, mm-hmm. and then came back and then shrugged his shoulders. And you can tell that he was rattled, okay? Yeah. You know as well as I do that Subban wanted the captaincy of the Canadians. Pacioretty wanted the captaincy mm-hmm. of the Canadians. And Pacioretty at one point thought that Subban was um, somewhat of... He he wasn't. He was kind of. He thought he was kind of doing his thing, and he had a couple of players following him, and it was hard to keep unity. 
and uh, and and Pacioretty was upset with Subban, and he told him to buy in and be with the program and stuff like that. And Subban was a little bit upset with Pacioretty, and Subban thought he was a be- he was more of a natural leader than Pacioretty. And mm-hmm. you know what? Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. But all to say is that um, the sea wore on Max Pacioretty. Yeah. It, it wore him down. It was obviously an, a huge uh, privilege to be the, the, yep. the captain of the Montreal Canadiens, but it comes with a lot of responsibility. And at one point, it got a little bit too much for Max. Yeah, and but as I said, <clears throat> and he understood what it meant to be captain of the Canadiens. And Shea Weber was a, was a great captain in the room, and the guys all loved him. But I don't think Shea really understood or cared to understand the difference between being captain in Nashville and being captain in Montreal. You know, dealing with the media is a big part of it. Shea hated dealing with the media. He did it as little, he did the minimum he had to do. Um, he just, he wasn't, he was so comfortable as a leader, Shea Weber, and, and such a comfortable man in his own skin. But I don't think he was as comfortable being captain of the Canadians and everything that, that came with it. Yeah. And he didn't really, you know, I think he knew what, but he just, it, it wasn't his character. And, and Pacioretty tried to be everything sort of to everyone as captain. And, you know, being around the team on a daily basis and on the road, I remember there was a, I can't remember what season it was, early in the season, and Patrick was really struggling. And uh, he was asked about the leader. And he said, I remember his quote was something along the lines, it's hard to be a leader when you're, you're the worst player on the ice. Yeah. And yeah. he was speaking honestly and openly, but when he said yeah. it, I was like, whoa, that's, you don't really want to be saying that as a captain of a team. He was hard on himself. He was hard on he himself. He was so hard on himself. And the next day was one of the rare times I had a chance to have a sit-down one-on-one with Weber, the next day, I'm pretty sure they're in Anaheim. It was Anaheim or San Jose. And the next morning, Weber was sitting by himself in the locker room. And I said, you know, can I talk to you for a couple of minutes? And he grudgingly went, yeah. And then I said, uh, what did you think of Max's comments yesterday? And he just said, well, we had a chat. So I think that was a case of Pacioretty basically explaining to Max maybe, you know, that, that he was being honest. I mean, he was struggling. But yeah. that just showed how much it was weighing on him. That yeah. For him to say that in front of a media scrum, just showed how much it was weighing on him. He was finding it hard to be a leader while he was struggling on the ice. Yeah. Where Shea Weber, none of that stuff, whether he was, whether Shea Weber was playing good, bad, great, he was always, he was like that. And that's part of what made Shea Weber uh, such a good leader that he was and the Mark Messier recipient. But again, being captain in Montreal is different than being captain anywhere else in the NHL. Maybe Toronto a little bit, but even in Montreal more so. There's more media, you got English media, you got French media. Um, and, and Pat Ready again. I think, I, think Weber, I think Weber dropped the ball a lot in Montreal. I, mean, I think he did. He and a, I think the, the fact that, you know, he, he never really held a press conference. He never held a press conference after he left. You know, he wasn't at that game after Guy Lafleur died. Uh, there was a lot, a lot of things. He was still, I think Bergevin made a mistake too by still leaving him as captain. Like, I think Shane knew he was done and he wanted to move on and it was over and everything yeah. else. Bergevin didn't want to cut the cord there. And I don't think he did uh, Weber any favors. Um, but if you remember when, when Weber came back, I guess it was the uh, uh, last game of the season at home maybe, and Weber yeah. came up and he got booed. There were people booing him at the Bell Center, and I was thinking, man, if, you know, if he had come back at the beginning of the season after that heroic effort he had in the playoffs, yeah. playing on banged-up body and playing tons of minutes, they would have blown the roof off the place with a standing yeah. ovation for him. So I don't think he understood that part of, of – no. You know, if he had showed up opening night, he would have got an incredible standing ovation from the fans. Because what he did in that playoff run was amazing on, on a bye. It was. He was. That he knew he was done. He knew he was done. Like, that, he gave everything he had. Yeah. And I admire so much about him doing that. And But I don't understand why he he wouldn't have wanted to be there opening night the next 
season because he was still captain. But when you've been around Weber, you sort of because he, he does his own thing. You, you know, know what the truth is, Stu? You know what the truth is? Subban never wanted to leave Montreal and Weber and one, never wanted to leave Nashville. Well, I mean, well, you can think the trade worked out, yes or no, oh, but the reality that. is Without is that Weber never got over that trade and Subban never got over that trade. No, Shea Weber had his world pulled out from under him because being captain in Nashville, I remember after the trade, <coughs> excuse me, I called the reporter um, uh, Adam Vinyan, who was at the time yeah. with the Nashville Tennessee and he later went to the Athletic. Yes, correct. He was, he was a victim, unfortunately, of the cuts at the Athletic. Yeah. But I called Adam. I didn't really know him, but I I knew he covered the team. And I just, just get a feel for, for Shea. And he said, uh, oh, he's a great guy. He says, but uh, good luck trying to get him to talk about himself or talk about uh, anything else. He, he hates dealing with the media. He, he'd rather – he'll talk to you about his fantasy football team. <clears throat> he'll talk to you about all kinds of stuff, but he doesn't want to talk about hockey. He doesn't want to talk about the teams. He said to me at the time, I mean, if you Google search, I wrote a column about it. Uh, he said it's going to be interesting to see how he handles the media spotlight that it's going to be on him in Montreal. Yeah. And he was never comfortable with it. He was very, very comfortable in Nashville. His family was comfortable in Nashville. His world got pulled out from under him with that trade. <coughs> and vice versa with P.K. Subban. P.K. Subban loved everything about the spotlight in Montreal. He loved the cameras. He loved being recognized on the street. He loved everything about it. So there, you couldn't have two more different personalities. And if you remember after the trade, you know, we were talking about what happened with Weber. About two days after that trade, <coughs> excuse me, P.K. was in Nashville on the stage at Tootsie's with a cowboy hat singing a Johnny Cash song. Yeah. And there was still no sign of Shea Weber. And I remember I wrote a column at the time and the headline was where's Shea? Because it had been like two weeks after the trade, maybe yeah. more. And again, you can Google and look it up, look up through my name and where's Shea. And he still hadn't shown up. And I wrote the column and the Canadians phoned me that morning. They blasted me. How can you write this? And, oh, really? Eh? But I was like, well, where is he? Like, it's the normal procedure is a blockbuster trade like this. The guy's going to be there the next day. We understand why Petrie is not because you figure he's probably going to get traded. Otherwise, so it's, it was just right from day one. Shea Weber, you're right. PK didn't want to leave Montreal and Shea Weber didn't want to be in Montreal. And, uh, you know, Shea Weber was able to help lead the Canadians to Stanley Cup final. And, uh, you know, he played his heart out on the ice here. He played, you know, he, 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 you know, that's incredible what he did in that playoff run. But, you know, if you give him his choice, and he's, he would have preferred to stay in Nashville without a doubt. And PK would have preferred to stay in Montreal. So they ripped you, eh? Well, they weren't up. So, you know, the, the, especially the previous regime with the Canadians, they were, they were very, uh, uh, I'm looking for the word. They didn't like it uh, if anything negative was said about them. Hey, speaking of which, did you see the picture of Mark Bergevin with Paul Wilson and Dominic Ducharme on social media? Did you see that? I saw that one, and I saw another one of them at the airport recently, and he looked great. Like he looked, yeah. uh, he looked fantastic. Yeah, yeah. He looked five years younger. He looked almost like he did when he first came in as GM of the Canadians. And that's that's the pressure of that job. I mean, it just it eats people up. And uh, yeah, I saw it with him and Wilson and uh, Dominic Ducharme. I guess they were at Wilson's house. Uh, yeah, having a bit of a pool party. Yeah. They were at Wilson's house, and uh, Mark Bergevin usually doesn't come back to Montreal all that much, but clearly, you know, he still has mm -hmm. family and friends here, so he was in. I don't know if he's still in. Haven't heard from him, but, uh, yeah, he, you know, he was actually, he looked uh, uh, very at peace, and Paul Wilson was wearing a Montreal Canadiens T-shirt. I saw that. Champions 2021, obviously, conference champions and yeah. not Stanley Cup champions. And both Bergevin and Ducharme were kind of pointing to the shirt, which was a nice change because supposedly for those who have caught up with Mark Bergevin over the last little while since he's been gone, 
he'll still take pictures with everybody. But if you're wearing a Montreal Canadian shirt or have Canadians attire, he's not that interested in taking a picture with you at that point. Yeah. Well, I remember asking him, you know, when the contract thing was coming up and uh, the question I asked him was in a perfect world, do you want to stay with the Montreal Canadians? And he said, yes. Yeah. I remember that. Remember that at the press conference? Yeah. Yeah. And he said, yes, in a perfect world, I do want to stay here. And obviously that wasn't, that world didn't happen. Jeff Molson had other, other plans and moved on. And I'd say it looks like it was a really smart move to, to bring in Ken Hughes. But I mean, in Bridgman's defense, he, he had that job <coughs> for about 10 years. That's a long time to be GM anywhere. Never mind the Montreal Canadiens with the pressure that comes with it. And uh, I remember he had his stages here. We had the beard, then he had the wild, crazy hair. He had the red suit. He was going through all these different stages. And I was happy to see the picture of him at the airport because he looked good. And in all the years he was jam and all the years I covered the team, I was never able to get a one-on-one with Mark Bruce, right? Uh, he was obviously upset something I had written along the way. And uh, again, oh, really, eh? personal, I guess. And he, he, yeah. I, I, I reached out. I tried as hard as I can, could to at any point get a one-on-one sit down with him. Uh, never happened. And, you know, I got a one-on-one with Kent Hughes about two weeks after he uh, took over the job. So it's, you know, it's, it's part of I me. Mean, that's his right not to talk to me, but I don't want to. That's uh his prerogative but um geez you and i uh you and i are are, are quite the opposite because i i never had a problem getting a one-on-one with bergerman as a matter of fact i was very very privileged i had several several sit-down conversations with mark bergerman once at the, the old radio station where i used to work uh it was on a sunday afternoon he actually came in he met me there on a sunday i went in he went in uh, i opened up the uh uh, the parking for him downstairs, opened up the door, told him where he can park his, his car, walked up together, went in studio, uh, and, uh, and I said, are you ready to go? And he didn't want to, you know, like, because some people ask for the questions up front, and I never had that relationship mm-hmm. with him. It was, and I was like, Mark, you know, I'm going to ask you, like, this is, this is who I am, and this is what I do. So if you're looking for softball, but, you know, he was good. And I always got the feeling that, you know, he um, he couldn't always tell me the truth, but I got the feeling that he never lied to me. And that's, you know, I understand that, you you know, you can't always tell everyone the single truth. But I got the feeling that he never lied to me, which was cool. I get that feeling with with Kent Hughes. But unlike you, I haven't had my interview with Kent Hughes yet. So lucky <laughs> you had it after two weeks. I haven't had it yet. Well, obviously, yeah. I mean, I wrote something, obviously, that, that pissed Bergeron off. Um, somebody told me they thought they knew what it might be. Um, but again, I, I just, you know, I, I tried, I mean, I, I told the Canadians I'll do it in a coffee shop somewhere off the record, just, uh, you know, find out why he doesn't want to talk to me or what went on, yeah. but that's, uh, unfortunately that never happened, but, uh, so you were, well, so you wanted to go for a coffee with him so you guys could bury the hat. Well, you know what, when you deal with guys like, you know, with the patch or anything, there's certain times guys are going to be upset with you. And like I'm around the yeah. team every day. So, you know, you, you build relationships with guys. Yeah. They're not going to like everything you write, but you hope. You know, Red Fisher was Red Fisher and Mike Farber were my two mentors when I was young. Yeah, yeah. And Red, Red's always Red said, "Criticize, but be fair." That was always his mantra. Criticize your jobs to criticize when they need to be, but just be fair. And I've always tried to follow that. Uh, been critical when they need to be, praise guys when they need to be praised, and I've always remembered Red's voice in the back of my head saying, "Criticize, but be fair." And I, I think I've always done that. You know, and you know, you know. If, what if, if I wasn't like? fair, if I wasn't, if Mershmey felt I wasn't fair with something I wrote. I would have, it would have been good if he could have maybe told me what it was. Yeah. And, you know, I could have said, okay, or, or we could have maybe uh, uh, either agreed to disagree or we could have uh, uh, 
uh, patch things up. As I said, when Patrick was upset with me, uh, yeah, over the question I asked him about Weber, we worked, we spoke and worked things out, and we got along fine after that. He, you know, I give, I told him my side. I wasn't trying to embarrass him. I wasn't trying to put him on the spot. Yeah. I was just asking yeah. a question, and yeah. I was, I was uh, you know, I was, it was not my intention. Uh, that's the way he took it. Uh, in his shoes, I guess I could understand why he would take it that way. But that wasn't my intention. We agreed to, and we got along, got along fine again after that. You know what Bergevin uh, didn't like, and I don't know if this came for you or not. I don't think it did, but I'll tell you, uh, he didn't like when um, members of the media would talk about the way he dressed, the mm-hmm. way he looked, uh, you know, his muscles, his tattoos, because some members of the media did. They talked about all yeah. that stuff, right? He just wanted to be um, evaluated for the work that he would do and not the way he would dress or not whatever. Uh, well, what, what, what might have upset him Yeah. Was- I think after the PK trade is I they said, if this trade doesn't work out and it blows up in his face, he's going to go from looking like the dapper GM to looking like Herb Tarlick. If you've never heard Tarlick from WKRP. Yes. So that, uh, that might be what upset him. Um, it's pretty funny. It is, I'm surprised he would have known who Herb Tarlick was. <laughs> WKRP back in the yeah. day. Yeah. Pretty but, funny actually. Um, but if that, if that's what it was, I mean, if uh if that's what it was i mean it was yeah. trying to be trying to be a little bit humorous and and i mean i as i've said not many guys mark bergevin's age can pull off the looks he pulled off and uh kudos to him i mean he was a cool he's like one of the coolest 50 he's almost my age 56 or something like that now he's one of the coolest 56 year old guys uh out there you know with his uh tattoos and the, the, the wild clothes and good for him he can pull it off not too many guys can yeah, uh, I had a good moment with him when he told when I asked him about uh, you know a defense partner for Shea Weber, and uh, he brought up Jordy Ben's name. Remember that? I looked at him. I said, "You can't do that." Tony, Jordy exactly Ben. You said, you said you can't do that. Yeah, it's a Mark. Mark. <laughs> I think he laughed Mark. actually when you said that too. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, we had it, and we we also had a laugh off air over that one too. I said so. I looked at him. And I said, "Mark Jordy Ben." Jeez, for the love of God, man, come on. And he started to laugh a little bit, and it was it was it was good. So look, well, I never get... I never got to know. Unfortunately, I never got to know Bergevin as as a uh, as a guy. I mean, I heard all the stories. He was a jokester and funny guy, and this yeah. and that. He, he was very he was always very cordial with me in scrums or media yeah. things or that. But um, you know, for six years or whatever that I was on the beat and he was there, I was never able to, to get a one on one sit down with him. Yeah. Uh, okay. So yeah, you know. Uh... Some people are just, you know, more of a, I, 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 it was great between me and him. I, I had a lot of, uh, and again, I mean, that's his right. I mean, I'm not, yeah, you know, he doesn't want to talk to me. He doesn't want to talk to me. If players don't want to talk to you, that's, they don't have to. That's, that's their right. Yeah. I, I remember, I don't know if I remember he did one interview, uh, with my buddy Mitch Melnick and, um, and Melnick asked him a question and, and it went something like, you know, how do you still have a job? Or like, what did you say to Jeff? to like talk him into like you still keeping your job and uh you know he you know he he took it bad because i don't know if they ever had a conversation again type of thing but uh he thought he was trying to embarrass him obviously by asking him that question live on the air and uh it was you know that was it that was it okay so jeff petrie uh backed him for a second here um kent hughes hasn't spoken to the media yet and I'll, i'll get back to something you brought up he's preparing other moves um, will Jeff Petrie play a game for the Montreal Canadiens in your opinion, yes or no? I'd say no. 
I would say no, because I think if the, if that was the plan, um, we would have heard from Kent Hughes already, and the Canadians would have had something up there saying, uh, "Welcome back, Jeff," or something. I, I'd be. Yeah. I don't think he will, but as I mentioned earlier, I wouldn't be shocked if he does because if Kent Hughes doesn't get a deal that he thinks is of value, maybe Jeff Petrie will have a lot more. Petrie comes back, he'll, he'll play a, a key role on the Canadians. I mean, they mm -hmm. use a veteran right-hand defenseman, and if he has a really good season at the trade deadline or before then, his value would be higher. And I think if Kent Hughes believes he can't get what he thinks is good value for Jeff Petrie now, yeah, uh, I think he'll be willing to wait. He's, he's, one of the things that I mentioned, Hughes hasn't been in a rush to do anything. You know, getting rid of uh, Hoffman's contract, I'm sure when he yeah. got that offer, he was in a rush to do that. Let's get you know, let's get that off the books if I can. But he's not yeah. in a rush to do anything that's that's going to make his team better. Bringing guys in, he's very he's very patient. He has his plan. He has a long range plan, and I think he getting Jeff Petrie back here with Pittsburgh getting 25 percent of his contract. And him having the ability to eat half of what's left of that uh, gives him a really strong commodity now in Jeff Petrie. And is that commodity, how strong is that commodity now? That's what he's gauging. Yeah. And if it's not as strong as he thinks it's going to be 20 games into the season or the trade deadline or whatever, uh, then I think he'll hang on to Petrie and and wait until he gets uh, he gets what he's looking for to get. A shout-out to Murphy Clinic, an aesthetic clinic specializing in medical aesthetic care. They offer permanent laser hair removal as well as a wide range of treatments for skin problems such as acne, rosacea, fine lines, and more. They currently have two clinics, one located in Montreal, Shop Angus, and the second on the North Shore in Terban. They're also opening soon in Quebec City. Visit murphyclinic.ca or on Instagram at murphyclinic. Also to Charlie and Sam over at Optimal Stretch Clinic and OptimalStretchClinic.com. Check them out. You can also see what they do on Instagram where they have some videos set up. They're at 4710 St. Ambroise in Point St. Charles. They'll stretch you out like you've never been stretched out before. They specialize in fascial stretch therapy as well as uh, deep tissue sports massage and cupping and osteo and physio. And they're basically a uh, acupuncture. They're a one-stop shop to make the body feel better. So, a shout out to them. All right, I'll ask you the I same just question. Just want to think, Tony. If Petrie, if Petrie does come back, yeah, play here. I've seen yeah. people on social media say, "Oh, you don't want him in the room. He demanded a trade. Get him out of here." Uh, <clears throat> Petrie was in a tough situation with his family. Right, his wife was pregnant with their child. All the restrictions in Quebec. Um, it, it was tough for him. It was tough for his wife. It was tough for his kids. They wanted out. He got out, but. As I mentioned earlier, Pete, the Which, by the left. way, by the way, if we could, you know, a lot of people yeah. are upset because not only because, because she didn't believe in the restrictions that at the too. time, she didn't and believe she, in the restrictions, she didn't she, believe yeah. in the pandemic yeah. and the issue yeah. that was, and yeah. and know, she was very anyway. vocal about it. Yeah, anyway, media. probably three years later, she was probably right. But anyway, it's another yeah, but, story for another but day. Jeff Petrie back in the Canadians locker room. Petrie was one of my favorite guys. Petrie's a really solid person, in my opinion. Really good guy to deal with. I'm sure you've dealt with him. He's very intelligent. He's very thoughtful. Uh, he's he's very, a good family man. He's a good man. Good family man. Very polite. Very considerate dealing with the media. Uh, yeah. Very soft spoken. Uh, you know, I wrote a column when he was here. I said he's like the kind of guy you want your daughter to marry. I remember I had a lead to one of my columns. He just he's a very for, yeah. for a guy who grew up as the son of a professional athlete or that he's got no um, sort of uh, he's, he's just a, he comes across just a really good guy. And yeah. the guys in the locker room really liked them. There was pictures earlier this summer of Cole Caulfield at a concert with Petrie and his wife somewhere in the yeah. States. 
Yeah. He, he was like a father figure to Cole Coffey. Mike Matheson is like that as well, by the way. Probably exactly. Dr. Mike Matheson and Jeff Petrie are very, very similar personalities. Exactly. Mike Matheson. Very, Matheson. very, very similar personalities. Fantastic. So if Petrie's back here, it's not like he's going to be a bad influence in the room. He's going to be – He's Jeff Petrie's a good guy who was in a, a tough situation. Yeah. Uh, what was best for his family at that point, he thought, uh, was to get out of Montreal and go somewhere else. Jeff uh, Kent Hughes accommodated him, as I mentioned earlier. I'm sure Jeff Petrie really appreciates the fact that he did accommodate him. And if Jeff Petrie has to come back and play in Montreal for a while, uh, it's not going to be a problem in the room. It's not going to be uh, – Jeff Petrie, to me, is a really class act. And I think uh, you know, he was an assistant captain who was with the Canadians. He'll help the Canadians if he plays for them. Uh, as again, I, I don't think that's Kent Hughes' plan at this point. Yeah. But Kent Hughes thinks everything through. So plan A is I trade him, I get whatever great value I can get. Plan B, I hold on to him. He's yeah. going to be a solid right-hand defenseman for us. His value might increase. So um, yeah, but but if, if Jeff Petrie is in the Canadiens locker room to start the season, that uh, that's not a negative. Stu, uh, next time we're going to talk, we're going to talk about uh, probably even Alex Newhook because you had a great piece on him. He comes from a family of athletes. I had a chance to read it. You yeah. can too at the Montreal Gazette and HockeyInsideOut.com. Follow Stu Cowan on Twitter. Thanks, Stu. Have a great night. Okay, you too, Tony. All right. I want to thank everyone for uh, watching tonight on YouTube, on YouTube Live, on Facebook Live, on Twitter Live. Subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already. Leave us a five-star review on Apple if you can, if you listen to us. It's our way of really feeling your love. Speaking of which, uh, I want to end with this tonight. Um, during the hockey season, we used to take calls, and we will continue to take calls going forward. And on a couple of occasions, um, I received a call from a gentleman by the name of Joe in the East End. Uh, Joe Batista is his name. And at one point, his wife reached out to me, his wife Melina, and she said, Tony, um, Joe has cancer and he's been going through treatments and it's been obviously been very, very tough for him. And I want to thank you for doing the podcast that you do. He absolutely loves the sick podcast. He loves you. And it really is a welcome distraction um, because it makes him forget about, you know, um, the terrible health. Um, and unfortunately the, uh, the bad hand, that he's been dealt. So she said, thank you very much for that. Um, and she told me that um, Joe's time on this earth was, um, was limited. Uh, at which point I got a hold of her and, um, and I told her I, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to meet him and I wanted to go over. And uh, she told me that she would uh, get back to me, but um his uh, situation was um, was um, he was in bad shape. He was in really, really bad shape. Uh, so um, they um, we agreed on a FaceTime. So I FaceTimed them. We had a great chat. Um, Joe and Molina met 28 years ago. Uh, they've been married for the last 23 years. And they have a daughter, Ella, um, who's about 16 years of age. She's a chef who's a very passionate Montreal Canadiens fan. And um, he was, um, you know, he had ulcerative colitis when he was in his 20s. 
And then four years ago, give or take at around age 46, um, he got cancer. Three major surgeries, um, two brain surgeries in a couple of years, chemo and radiation. And uh, when I reached out to Joe, um, he talked to me about, um, he didn't know how much um, fight he had left in him. And um, I tried to encourage him to keep on fighting and told him if he was going to go for his uh, next round of uh, treatments that I would uh, meet him at the hospital and um, we would go together and uh, we'd talk about, you know, his favorite team, the Montreal Canadiens, while he was in the, uh, in the waiting room. A um, couple of hours ago, I saw on Facebook... Uh, from his wife's account uh, that Joe passed away four days ago. There you have it. Um, Giuseppe Battista, 46 years of age. And the last time he spoke, he said to me, he said, Tony, I love when you sign off and you say, I'm Marinaro. He said, it makes my day. For Joe Batista, this one's for you. I'm Marinaro. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinaro on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. LaVita.tv. Embrace your true nature. And Playground, your premier gaming destination.